today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. Open our hearts, change us from within by the open word. Give us ears to hear your truth and eyes to see the needs around us as we draw. put a check mark on that one silver dollar and you just mix it into the bundle and then you blindfold someone and you let them walk through the state of Texas until they just pick one just anytime you want to you can walk for days anywhere you want but on that one you get one chance to pick that one silver dollar that's about the odds of fulfilling eight of the prophecies Jesus' existence was an extremely improbable fulfillment of numerous prophecies found throughout the Old Testament. If you imagine that at various points through the past centuries, multiple men would have foretold the precise circumstances and events of your birth, life, and death, you'll start to get a little better grasp on how impossible the odds were. Throughout today's message, Pastor David will explore these prophecies and all the ways they point to our amazing Savior. Now here's Pastor David in the book of Luke chapter 1 as he begins his message, What are the Odds? Allstate Data Science Team, the average odds of scoring the Mega Millions Lottery Prize is 1 in 302 million, while the Powerball is sporting odds of 1 in 292 million. Uh, That's pretty rich odds there, folks. The St. Louis Reserve, though, has calculated that people younger than 40 years old you actually have a 1 in 55 chance of becoming a millionaire in your lifetime just by doing it the old-fashioned way, hard work and wise investment. The odds of an amateur golfer, an amateur golfer, hitting a hole-in-one on a par-3 course are 1 in 12,500. That's according to the National Hole-in-One Association. They actually keep track of that because of the insurance that helps cover all the uh, you know, prize money on that. Now, those are just some interesting odds. If you're worried about your particular mortality rate, uh, here's a few other statistics that you might want to keep handy and, uh, you know, just for your own information. The odds of being struck by lightning in your lifetime, provided you live to about 80 years of age, are 1 in 12,000. That's according to the National Weather Service. The odds of being killed by an asteroid impact is actually 1 in 74,817,414. Now, how they got it down to that number, I don't know. Just make sure you go buy a hard hat maybe on the way home tonight, you know, because, you know, you never know what tomorrow's going to get. According to the index of, catch this, The index of objects launched into outer space 
That's maintained by the United Nations Office for Outer Space Affairs. That's their name for it, not mine. There are actually 4,857 satellites currently orbiting the planet. And that number's been been added to yearly uh, somewhere in the range of 250 to 325 satellites more every year, except for 2017. 2017, you'll need to know, it was a record year. They actually put 453 more objects in space swirling above your head. Now, as far as the lifetime of those particular satellites, they actually lose one satellite a week that returns back down to Earth one way or another and someplace. So according to NASA, the odds of such an unfortunate event of you being hit by a piece of space junk is actually pretty high. It's actually 1 in 12 or in 21 trillion. Now, or 21 to the 12th power, if I've got my math right. That's like 12 zeros after 21. Now, with all of that information, it was back in 1958 that Moody Press published a book by a professor by the name of Peter Stoner. Stoner's book was titled Science Speaks, and it dealt with, again, the probabilities of uh, certain areas within the Bible. For years, Professor Stoner had uh, served as the chairman of mathematics and astronomy departments at Pasadena City College. Then in 1953, he moved to Westmont College in Santa Barbara, California. There he served as the chairman of the science division. At that time, or at the time he wrote this book, uh, he was actually professor emeritus of science at Westmont. As any good scientist would, Stoner had his work reviewed by his peers. In the foreword of a revised edition published in 1976, a Dr. Harold Harlitzer, an officer of the American Scientific Affiliation, wrote that the manuscript had been carefully reviewed by a committee of his organization and that the mathematical analysis included is based upon principles of probability which are thoroughly sound. He further stated that in the opinion of the affiliation, Professor Stoner has, quote, applied these principles in a proper and convincing way. In the third section of his book, and it's subtitled Messianic Prophecy, Stoner proceeds to select just eight of the best-known prophecies about Jesus Christ as Messiah. And then he calculates the odds of their accidental fulfillment to happening to one person. He calculated the odds as being 1 in 10 to the 17th power. Now that's 1 with 17 zeros after it, and that's about 5 more zeros than the possibility of you being hit by a piece of space junk, okay? According to Stoner, the best way to wrap your head around this number, and perhaps some of you have heard this before, if you take, again, in the, 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 the size of the state of Texas and you fill it with silver dollars up to your knees all through the entire land of Texas and you take one silver dollar and you put a check mark on that one silver dollar and you just mix it into the bundle and then you blindfold someone and you let them walk through the state of Texas until they just pick one, just anytime you want to. You can walk for days anywhere you want, but on that one, you get one chance to pick that one silver dollar. That's about the odds of fulfilling 
eight of the prophecies, just some of the better known ones. The odds of that first coin that he would pick up are the same as eight different prophecies being fulfilled accidentally in the life of Jesus of Nazareth. But keep in mind, during his lifetime and in his death and resurrection, Jesus didn't fulfill just eight prophecies. Not counting prophecies that have yet to be fulfilled, the ones that they believe to be fulfilled are at least 108 specific prophecies. Now, the chances of fulfilling 16 of those prophecies is 1 in 10 to the 45th power. That's 45 zeros after that. When you get to fulfilling 48 of these prophecies, then the odds jump up to 10 or 1 in 10 to the 157th power. That's just fulfilling 48 of them. Accidental fulfillment of the prophecies that Jesus has already fulfilled in his birth, his life, his ministry, his crucifixion, his death, his burial, his resurrection, and his ascension to the Lord, simply beyond the realm of of probability or even possibility to accidentally do that. I felt that it would be appropriate for me to speak a little bit tonight on some of the Old Testament prophecies concerning the birth of Christ and the absolutely amazing way that God fulfilled each one of them. We know that he was born of a virgin. He was of the family of Abraham. He was also of the family of Jacob and the family of Judah. Let's take these real quickly, one at a time. From the pages of Isaiah, as a matter of fact, Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, we read, The Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel, God with us. Now, we're going to look at this a little bit deeper in a moment. But the fulfillment of that, we see, yes, in Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 26, where we read, Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin born to a man whose name was Joseph. Or I'm not born, betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one, the Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. A little bit later in that verse 20, uh, verse 30, then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son, and shall call his name. Jesus. Down in verse 34, Mary responds. She says to the angel, how can this be since I do not know a man? She's never had, again, physical relations with a man. And the angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore, also that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. And in Mary's doubting and confusion, the angel again reaffirmed to her, with God, nothing is impossible. We also know in Matthew, the angel spoke to Joseph, her uh, again, the one that she was betrothed to. Verse 18 of Matthew chapter 1. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. 
Down in verse 24, it says, Then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took to him his wife and did not know her in a physical relationship until they had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. Jesus was born of a virgin. God was his father. We'll look at that a little bit more in a moment. The other thing in that same way, the promise was, is that he was born of the seed of a woman. Way back in Genesis chapter 3, God speaking to, again, the serpent there, he tells him, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. And the woman does not have the seed. She has the egg, a really strange declaration, unless you understand biblical prophecy and what God was speaking. God continued on. He said that he, again, the woman's seed, shall bruise your head, speaking to the serpent, and you shall bruise his heel. In essence, the the work of the cross. That was completely fulfilled in the New Testament. And as a matter of fact, Paul speaks to us in the book of Galatians, chapter 4, verse 4, that when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman the seed of the woman giving birth to the Messiah, to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, one of the interesting things is there is a man living, uh, this old, go back to the Old Testament, a man living in a place called Ur of the Chaldees, surrounded by pagan influence everywhere, and God calls this one man out of all the men that were on the earth at that point in time, even the odds of that, Uh, You'd have to know how many people were living on the earth at that point in time. Takes that one man, Abram, takes him out of that pagan country and draws him to a place, again, that he would show him in order that he might bless him with that new land. Not only that, but out of Abraham, the blessing of Abraham, he's going to be a blessing to the nations beyond that. As a matter of fact, the promise of God, the prophecy, is found in Genesis twenty-two eighteen, where the Lord tells Abram, in your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. It's fulfilled, we see it very clearly, in the New Testament as he becomes, again, part of the ancestral list of Jesus of Nazareth. In Matthew 1, we see it. In Luke chapter 3, we see, again, that list that, that uh, Abraham is there. In Matthew, we read the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham begot Isaac, Isaac begot Jacob, Jacob begot Judah and his brothers, and on the list goes. He was also born uh, as a descendant of Jacob. If you remember, Isaac and Rebekah had two children, Esau and Jacob. God used Esau, or God used Jacob and not Esau. Again, why Jacob? Because God had a plan, God had a purpose. He was working through that. The promise is found in a strange place in Numbers chapter 24. What's going on there is the the people of Israel are making their way through the wilderness, coming up to the promised land. Balak, who is the king of the Moabites, had seen what the children of Israel had done to the Amorites, 
So he found this guy by the name of Balaam, who was a prophet for hire, and he pays him to prophesy against the children of Israel. And yet through a strange course of events, God works in this prophet Balaam and does not allow him to curse Israel. As a matter of fact, it finally came to the point in Numbers 24, beginning in verse 2, where Balaam raised his eyes, saw Israel encamped according to their tribes, and the Spirit of God came upon him. Verse 5, how lovely are your tents, O Jacob, your dwellings, O Israel. And remember, Jacob was the one whose name was changed to Israel. He shall pour water from his buckets, and his seed shall be in many waters. His king shall be higher than Agag, who was a powerful king of that time, and his kingdom shall be exalted. Blessed is he who blesses you, and cursed is he who curses you. Again, the blessing again on Jacob. In the New Testament, again, in the genealogies of Christ, in Luke this time, chapter 3, we read in verse 23, now Jesus himself began his ministry at about 30 years of age, being, as was supposed, the son of Joseph, the son of Heli. And on it goes, down to verse 34, the son of Jacob, the son of Isaac, the son of Abraham, who was the son of Terah, and the son of Nahor. So again, from Abraham, we jump to Jacob, From Jacob, we go to the tribe of Judah. Judah was one of the 12 children of Jacob. He was the one that was called, again, the the, the tribe of the, the lion was their signature. And again, Christ came out of Judah. He is the lion of the tribe of Judah. The promise or the prophecy was found in Genesis chapter 49, verse 10. Again, and this is where Jacob is blessing his children. And when he gets to Judah, he says in verse 10, the scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh comes. And to him shall be the obedience of the people. Now, Shiloh is an interesting thing because Shiloh is definitely a place. As a matter of fact, the tabernacle was there for a season. But it was also a person. It was, again, the, a, a name, a, 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 a personal name. One of the alternate definitions of the word Shiloh comes from Strong's Concordance. It says, he who it is. He whose it is or that which belongs to him, Shiloh, until the one to whom belongs that scepter is what the prophecy declared, and that scepter being the rod or the insignia or the staff or the authority of Judah. So again, that's going to be there. It has to be fulfilled. The scepter shall not depart from Judah. Out of Judah's line, this is all going to go. And we find again in the genealogies, Jesus being one of, again, through that genealogy, the son of Judah. One of the other things we know, he was a descendant of King David. Uh, Your throne shall not be empty, one of the prophecies to David. But another promise, another prophecy is found in Jeremiah 23. In Jeremiah 23, verse 5, the word says, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I will raise to David a branch of righteousness, 
A king shall reign and prosper and execute judgment and righteousness in the earth. They're not talking about his son Solomon, and we're going to look at this one a little bit later too. We see once again the fulfillment in not only the genealogies of both Matthew and of Luke, but also even the people. Remember on Palm Sunday as Jesus was making what is called the triumphant entry into Jerusalem. The people declared Matthew 21. The multitudes who went before and those who followed cried out saying to Jesus, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. So not only is it declared in the genealogies, but even the people themselves declared it when they saw Jesus. The fact that he was born in Bethlehem, how in the world, again, getting, making that whole thing work out, the odds of that, the least among the cities. And that's what, again, Micah tells us in the prophecy of Micah 5.2. But as for you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, least among all those of Israel. We're going to look at that in a little bit too. The fulfillment we know, we found in, in, in the Gospels of both Matthew and Luke, that he was born in Bethlehem of all places. We'll look at why there instead of, again, where they lived up in Nazareth. We also know that he received gifts from royalty. Again, a prophetic promise that's found in the Psalms. Psalm 72, verse 10. Those who dwell in the wilderness will bow before him, and his enemies will lick the dust. The kings of Tarshish and of the isles will bring presents. The kings of Sheba and Seba will offer gifts. Yes, All kings will fall down before him. All nations shall serve him. And we see that fulfillment in Matthew chapter 2. That was, I believe, a beginning fulfillment. There's also going to be a final fulfillment. We'll look at that in a moment. But those that came to him there in Matthew 2, they brought gold, gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Gold for the king. The psalmist declared, I have set my king on my holy hill of Zion. Jesus being a king. The frankincense is again a gift for a priest. Again, the psalmist declares in Psalm 110, the Lord has sworn and will not relent. You are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. And then the third gift, the gift of myrrh for a sacrifice. Isaiah 53 so clearly declares that he is going to be a sacrifice. And then we read within the Gospels, he was sacrificed for the sin of man. The scriptures also declare that he's going to be a prophet, Deuteronomy 18. He's going to be a priest, again, uh, Psalm 110. He's going to be a king once again. All through these, these titles are attributed to Jesus, Old Testament and also New Testament. The last one that we'll look at real quick is the massacre of the innocents, the death of the children that happened at Bethlehem. Back in Jeremiah chapter 31, we read the words, Thus says the Lord, a voice is heard in Ramah near Bethlehem, lamentation and bitter weeping, Rachel, who is buried in Bethlehem, weeping for her children. This also refers to the weeping of all of her descendants who were physically in Rachel, who would be born later. Open our hearts, change us from within by the open word. 
Christmas time has arrived again, and with it, the typical carols, decorations, and events of the season. We're so glad that today you've taken the time to study God's Word with us and rejoice in the true reason for the season, Jesus Christ. How can we be praying for you during Christmas? We'd love to know, as well as how we can be joining you in praise for all God's doing. Would you give us a call? We can be reached at 520-836-9676. If you'd like to listen to more of Pastor David's teachings, you'll find them online at theopenword.com. We'd love to meet you too. Come by Calvary Chapel Casa Grande this weekend to join us for worship and Bible study. Find out more when you call us. Again, that number is 520-836-9676. As our time comes to a close today, Pastor David has a quick word of encouragement to share with you. Thanks, Chris. Any time you spend in God's Word is valuable, and I'd like to encourage you to do it as often as possible. By diving deeper into Scripture and letting it saturate your heart and mind, you'll be ready to take on your day as well as be prepared when the enemy attacks. If you're not sure where to start, you can begin by reading today's passage again, or simply begin with the Gospel of Mark, a short and simple reading. If your heart is open to the Holy Spirit's direction, you can't go wrong. Hey, thanks for tuning in today, and I hope you'll join me again next time. Thanks, Pastor David, and thank you for tuning in to The Open Word. Merry Christmas.